Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, let's turn to that familiar passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24, and we're going to finish up the chapter all the way to verse 29 this morning as we look at the obvious choice or the obvious choices that we're going to make in our life. Uh, we are finishing up 12 weeks for, for 12 weeks with a couple of off weeks in the middle. So almost 14 weeks ago, we started walking through Matthew chapter 4 through chapter 7. And as we have done that, we have gotten to see clearly in the example of Christ, in the instruction, the direction of Christ, what he has planned for us and what he is calling us to in the kingdom life and, and how obvious it's the inside out, not just that there is one inside and there is outside, but that they match together. And that's what scripture kind of comes to this pinnacle today as Jesus, this master communicator, just ties it all up together. As we look at that familiar passage about the wise man builds his house upon the rock, if you grew up in church, maybe that tune's going through your head. It is a really pretty interesting thing. When you and I look at Scripture, when you and I find ourselves in this place, we really find ourselves at a place of proving. That's what this passage talks about today. I remember as a young man uh, in, in college, maybe 19 years old, I waited tables at a seafood restaurant, and one of the items that we had was a, um, was a, was a salad, a Greek salad, and huge bowl of, of lettuce, and then all these glasses of, of different things, and anchovies, and dressings, and stuff. And, and I remember we would see how much you could carry out on a tray. If you waited tables, are you with me on this one? Like, how much could I carry out? And this tray, I mean, they, they seemed like they weighed a ton and they were off balance. And I remember one day someone walking out with a big table saying, are you sure you can get that by yourself? And I said, I can absolutely get this by myself. I'm 19. I can do anything, obviously. And so I put it on my, my arm, and I go out, and I feel it kind of unbalanced. I feel it kind of going, but I'm doing great. And I make it all the way to the section, and I turn to put it down. And when I turn, I don't know what happens. But the gentleman underneath me knows exactly what happened. Because he was wearing a Greek salad, the dressing, the anchovies, and the glassware. In that moment... I realized something, that I was trying to prove something on a foundation that I could not guarantee. Has that ever happened to you? Did you ever go to uh, Dairy Queen when they used to flip the blizzards over? And they said, would you like me to flip it over your head and show you how, how stuck it is? Did you ever say yes? I did not because of that salad incident. You see, when you and I are living our life, we are, we are trying to prove, we are trying to, to show or to see if what we believe, I believe in that moment that I, my arm strength and shoulder strength could carry that tray, if what we believe is actually true. And what's great is Jesus Christ, as he wraps it all up, makes it really clear, he gives us this test. It's almost like this obvious, clear, always right test in this illustration of understanding what will always prove solid and what will never prove solid. That's what this, this passage is about. So read it with me again and clue in on what Jesus is saying to you and I about what he is proving about and in us. The Bible says it this way. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. 
And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and, the, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished all of these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Now, church, here's what I want you to, to realize, and we're going to jump straight into it. I'm not going to try and make this more complicated than it is, but there are some things that if you and I come to realize the simplicity of what Christ is saying in the context of this sermon, chapter 4, living it, chapter 5, starting it, this passage, then we'll understand clearly what he's saying and what he's saying to you and I. The first thing I want you to notice this, look at verse 24. It says, everyone. Look at verse 25, and it says again, everyone, everyone who hears, everyone who hears. By definition, you are hearing God's word today. By definition, if you have been with us in this passage, you've been hearing God's word. If, if you have heard God's word, the gospel, in any way, shape, or form, at the very least, this applies to you. But I would tell you in Scripture that God is revealing himself to all men for accountability purposes so this is for you. It's not just for your wife. It is. It's not just for your husband. It is. But it's for you. And so the first thing I want you to see is that everyone is a builder. Every single person is building something. That means we are all builders. You, you may be saying, well, what do, you, what do you mean by everyone is a builder? I mean, in the physical sense, we get it because we know what building a house is like and the story here, we, we see that. But, but really, more than that, in the spiritual sense as well, we are all building a legacy. We're building a name. We're building a plan. We're all working on something. Every single thing, every single person that has a spirit is building for tomorrow. Have you ever thought about that? Do you know it doesn't say what type of house these people are building? You know, I've read this scripture many times, and I've read many commentaries on it, and, and many have talked about the type of building being tested or the work of the builder being tested. I'm not 100% I'm not sure that this passage is about that at all. And here's what I mean. Because everyone's a builder. Whether we are, are building something that is a legacy or a house or what we think is right, we are all trying to build something to provide peace and rest for us for as long as we think our season of life is. For those who think it's temporal, for temporal life. For those who know it's eternal, it's for eternal life. Some people are building a, a hut on the beach because they just want shade and they want the outside. Other people are building a basement deep into the ground up north because the winters are cold. Whatever your life is like, you're building something. And you could take inventory of all the materials you've gathered in your life and it would give you a clue of what kind of builder you are. You may be a, a caring builder. What you're building looks a whole lot more like a hospital for others. That's great. You, you may be a, a providing builder. 
what you're building looks like a legacy that will stand the generations and provide for your family. You may be a, a teaching builder. You're investing in generations. You're building your life legacy. Looking back, looks like a schoolhouse. You may be a, a, a church builder, and you look around, and that's all that's there. You know what's funny is we're not told what kind of house because I think God has made us so unique and so beautifully diverse and beautifully different that that was never supposed to be the priority of this story. The, the reality is that we all must understand, if we were to look honestly in the mirror, that we are builders. And the real reason we build is for the seasons ahead. Now, now, we understand that seasons change, and that's when the storms come. Right now, um, in Texas, we are in the middle of hurricane season. August and September are like the heights of hurricane season down here. And so we know that storms are going to come, and we know that the wind and the water are going to test our work. We were down in Galveston just a few weeks ago. And if you, if you turn a certain direction down the, the main strip in Galveston, if you start going down far enough, you'll see all of these new houses with beachfront property that are all these new houses have gone up in the last five, ten years. And you look at it and think, man, was that much property undeveloped five or ten years ago? And the answer was no. There were houses there that people had built and they had been tested by the wind and the rain and, and the storms had been too harsh. They had fallen apart. They haven't withstood the test of time. As we look at that, what we build, we know, is for the season ahead. If you grew up or you remember the Great Depression, you're building a life to withstand that. If you're in Houston, you're building a life to, to withstand the trials and the element. Wherever you are, that's what we're building into. So, so when we look at the New Testament and what types of building we're talking about, we start to see this idea of seasons in mind. When Jesus says the wise man or the man who hears these words and does them was like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew, we, we start to understand that we're building for something. And what we're building for are the storms of life. You see, that's the other certainty that we got, is that everyone faces storms. This is really kind of why we're building. Even if we didn't see storms, we would build differently. But, but the, what the Bible says is that you and I, when we build a house, that rains and storms are guaranteed to come. That, that, that's gonna happen. We're not gonna get around it. We're not gonna, we're not gonna find a way uh, to make our way past it. That you and I, what we build, will face the test and the trials of life. Now, the, the crazy thing is that we know that God is above this life. We know that God is a, a, a above and beyond in control of our life. Even this pandemic. Why would allow the Lord would the Lord allow harsh storms in the life of every created being? What's the purpose of a storm? What do they do? They prove. Have you ever thought about that? Storms prove. Just like I wanted to prove 
whether my arm was strong enough or not to carry that tray, the storms prove the reality, the makeup of who we are, what we have built upon, and what we are building with. Church, in the storms that we have, the wind and the water, they consolidate. You thought about that? They press together, and everything that won't fit together tightly squeezes out the edges. A storm hit Adam and Eve. The Lord said, of any tree in the garden you can eat, but not that one. That storm, that temptation, it proved their heart. Joshua, he says, listen, you choose today who you will serve. As they're, as they're going in to overcome these great enemies, you choose today who you serve. But the enemy in front of me does not intimidate me. My house, we serve the Lord. That storm, that trial proves Esther when, when she was faced with her whole, her whole lineage, her whole race being exterminated in the kingdom. Mordecai comes and says, listen, Esther, this is your time of proving. Do you think you're safe just because you're the queen? This pressure that you're facing, it will prove you. Possibly the Lord puts you where you are for such a time as this. And if you don't speak up, the Lord will still take care of his people, but you will be proved by this storm, by this trial. I think of King Agrippa in Acts. When Paul is trying to share with him the gospel, and he says, do you think in such a short amount of time that you can convince me the gospel squeezed Agrippa and he said let it run out church for you and I we have to understand that the storms that God is allowing us to encounter that they consolidate things in our life listen whether it's been the pandemic whether it's been your family dynamic whether it's been things at work whether it's just been your attitude maybe it's been your your depression whatever it might be it, it's amazing that with all these things piles on the lord is allowing a season of storms to be in our life and and, and there's no escaping it there's no getting away from the storms in our life. If you were to look at that, we could see Nimrod. Nimrod in Genesis, he tried to make a civilization in a building, and God said, no, you can't escape the storms. You can't be above it all, and he pushed it all aside. Nebuchadnezzar tried to build the greatest kingdom to withstand any pressure that's possible. And the Lord said, no, you can't withstand the storm. My storm will prove your plan failing Herod tried to protect his lineage kill all the children anyone that could threaten me what did the Lord do the storm came and took care of that all of these trials in their lives and the trials in our life they prove our heart they prove who the Lord has made us into now here's what we know in Houston about storms as well the people of Israel knew this and the people today should know this in Houston. Our, when a hurricane comes in, it has bands to it. 
right? We've got the dirty side and the clean side. And you can see when you're watching the radar, you can say, okay, another band's coming. It's right around. Storms have bands that, that just, just wail on us until the whole hurricane has passed. Church, right now, the storms that you and I face are preliminary judgments. They're, they're really acts of grace. And you're saying, Pastor, how in the world can pandemic be an act of grace? Pastor, how in the world can the conflict in my life and the, the, the tension in my family, how can my discouragement and all the, the, the storms that come with it, how can that be an act of grace? Lord, church, how, how is that even possible? Well, when David failed with Bathsheba, Nathan hit him like a tidal wave. And that tidal wave wasn't the final judgment. It was a judgment that allowed him to repent and start anew. When Peter was hit by that storm because he denied Jesus, that wasn't his final judgment. It was a preliminary judgment. The final one would come when he would be martyred for Christ. But in that time, it showed him the real state of his heart. He could deny it with his lips. He could talk about all the things that he had done. But when it hit him, it proved him differently. Church, if you in your life are struggling and you're feeling the storm come upon you, instead of saying, Lord, rescue me from the storm, ask the Lord to reveal his character within it. Church, we have gotten soft in thinking that the storms of this life and thinking that the, the way that the Lord works is simply by removal. You see, there's been a, a false narrative that has made you and I build our structure based on fair weather. It removes us from accountability for our actions that the Lord is revealing to us in the weather. It removes us from the consequences of our sin, of our rebellion, of our distortions. You see, Scripture doesn't ever point to the removal of the storms for those he loves. But those he loves, they seem to encounter the most storm. Joseph was sold into slavery. Joseph was thrown into prison. Joseph had to face his brothers. Over and over and over. In your life right now, have you been crying to the Lord about why does this storm seem to never end? And the Lord is crying out to you as a father, saying, because you haven't seen the proof of your heart yet. Listen, it's not about the building. And this passage isn't really about the storm. It's about the foundation. Look in your Bible again. Everyone who hears these words of mine and do them will be like a man who built his house on the rock. 
The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and did not and beat on the house, but it did not fall. Why? Not because of architecture, not because of what it was built on, not because of what it was about, not because the intention of the builder, not because of, of anything except that it was built on a solid foundation, the rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and the fall of it was great. Why? Because it was not built upon the rock. Church, right now, if you are getting slammed by the trials and the consistent bands that seem like storms of preliminary judgment in your life, don't look for a way to sure up your house. Check your foundation. Look at the ground beneath you. Are you standing upon Jesus Christ? And you know it because your feet are drenched in the kingdom life. What Jesus calls for here is something we don't like to talk about. We love to make excuses why our house leaks or why the back wall fell down. We love to, to patronize one another about how hard things are. That's not the gospel. Jesus is calling you and I to radical obedience. He is calling you and I to abandon ourselves, abandon our work, abandon our thoughts so that we can follow him and build on a solid foundation. The wise man builds a house that will never fall, not because he's so dynamic, not because she's so brilliant, not because there's a group of people affirming their direction. The wise man's house stands because he's radically obedient to Jesus. I'm not sure this has defined American Christianity. Listen, we live in a season when this storm is testing our devotion to the Lord and to his bride when we're just too tired to run hard after Jesus when, when we just want to give up gathering with others virtually because it's not the same thing it's not the same thing we, we, we just want to hold on to what we've got because we know it and we're angry that what we are comfortable with isn't more comfortable and we can't continue doing what we're doing. But I'm telling you what scripture calls us to is this radical obedience. Deny yourself and take up the cross. Look at what scripture says in your family. Radical obedience, lust of the eyes and adultery. Radical pushing them away. Look at what the Lord says in his word. Lay up treasures in heaven. Are you clinging to the spot that you're on because it's familiar? Because underneath your feet are buried all the treasures you've been wanting. Your plans for your children. Your thoughts about your life. Your plans for a financial future. Whatever it is, the good that you want to do in the world. What, whatever it is, are you standing where you're standing? Because like Achan who stole from Jericho, you are hiding the treasure you took that belongs to God. Church, that is shifting sand. You see, in, in Israel... There's 
sand that's very hard and closer to the water. And if you were to build there in the dry months, it would seem very hard. It would, it would seem right in the moment. But a sudden storm literally makes the hard go soft seemingly in a moment. And it washes away in a great way everything that was built upon it. That was what Christ was talking about. This shifting sand. The person had been told what to do, but their eyes deceived them, their hearts deceived them, their emotions deceived them. The shifting sand that Jesus says is anything less than radical obedience to his word. Shifting sand is false assurance that as long as I love Jesus, I don't need a foundation because it's not about that. It's about the work of my hands and what I've built is outstanding. It's beautiful. People tell me all the time, the life that I have built is incredible. That's shifting sand. Some people say any foundation will do. You can have a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of, of, of Islam and a little bit of, of flat-out deism and a little bit of disbelief. Any, any will do. In fact, you can have a little bit of yourself. As long as you have a heart for Jesus, it's going to be okay. Listen, Jesus tells the story of the ten virgins when they go out into the, to the to forest to await the groom. Not all of them have enough oil in their lamps. Their, their actions seemed like they showed they, they would do anything for the hand of the groom. But as the night dragged on, it showed that they really weren't prepared. They really spent their time investing in other places than the oil in their lamp. And so when they had to go and refill and came back, it was too late. Radical obedience. You can't build on any foundation. You have to build on the rock. Shifting sand is false belief. God is love. Therefore, he's not a God of judgment. God knows the intention of my heart even when I disobey him. So in the end, his mercy will flood over me. We create false beliefs. I'm believing that God loves the people who have a lot and hates those who doesn't, or the opposite. God loves the people who put themselves in self-misery, not because of his command, but because of their own desire. It's false. It's false interpretation. Matthew 5, it's saying, love your enemy. That's what scripture says. But false interpretation says, if you love your enemies, then you'll have no enemies. That's not biblical. That's a distortion of God's word. Jesus died. He came because he so loved the world. And I'm telling you, he died with his enemies smiling. You and I cannot build our house, our lives on the shifting sands of semi-belief in the gospel, of semi-obedience to the Lord. 
If you're running hard after God and you fall, that's one thing. But if you are knowingly defending the white picket fence around your house on the sand, you've missed it. Can you imagine Jesus says all of this to these people who are hearing the word and he says, you've missed it. You think you're building a house and you're actually building your grave. I don't even know. I can't even imagine how many tears will be at the gate of heaven one day. I don't know that it will be anger because God is so almighty and he is so incredible. I don't think it will be anger. I think it will be the final judgment and the great fall will wreck people in that moment they will realize that they had deceived themselves in their own sin. Jesus says, here's the obvious choice. If that defines you right now, it doesn't have to define you any longer. If that defines you right now, it doesn't have to define you in this next moment. Why? Because the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Ephesians chapter 2. And the rock, our cornerstone, is Christ. If, if you want to build your house on the rock so that no matter what comes, there's nothing stopping you. Anyone who hears the word can respond. Everyone who is a builder can build on Christ. How? By radical submission to him. By radically laying it all down. Church, this morning... I want you to know what the Bible says is that the people listening, they didn't have radical obedience. Listen to what the word says. When Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished. They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one with authority, not as their scribes. Church, Jesus is not calling us to simply say, wow. He's not calling you to just simply sit there in your heart and say, that's powerful, Jesus. He's not calling you in your heart to simply say, that's amazing. I wish I could do something about it, but I'm too late in life to start over. That's not what he's calling you to. He's not only not prohibiting you from relocating to the rock, he's inviting you. Scripture says in Ezekiel that there will be people in the camp who say, tell me the word of God. And they will sit and listen. But it will change nothing. Church, this morning, today, the good news about the storm that we're in is that it is not in control. Our foundation is in control. If you find the sand washing over your toes right now, if you find your house falling apart, if you find your belief being challenged, praise the Lord. Exalt his name. 
Don't look for a way out. Ask him to keep washing it to see if there's just dirt on the floor or if the floor is just dirt. There's an obvious choice. If you do not believe and give your whole life radically to Jesus Christ, if you've never known that that's what Christ was calling you to, right now, right now, Jesus says, if you hear my word, follow me. Follow me. Don't follow me just for a second, but follow me into eternity. Church, Jesus has shown us that his word be lifted up. His name is lifted up. So right now, if you've realized that you have been not walking in the footsteps of Jesus, that he has not abandoned you, and your final judgment hasn't come yet, in this moment, you can say these words to Jesus. And if you mean it, it begins your journey. Jesus, I, I love you. And I have been building my life on my dreams, on my interpretations, on my plans. And it will not stand. So Lord, let me relocate the authority of my life into your hands as my Lord, my Savior. If you speak speak those words or something like them to Jesus this morning. Run hard after him. Come put a card so we can walk and pray with you. You're not alone. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus and you're discouraged or angry or you're seeing these storms bring out things in you you didn't even know existed, praise God for them, but that's not enough. It's not enough to be astonished. You have to surrender those things. Listen, there's consequences in relocating, right? There's, there's effort in, in what we have fallen into, putting it on the rock. Deny yourself and follow him. He is the restorer of marriages, of hearts, of lives, because he's the giver of hope. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, we know there's no escaping the storms. Praise God, there's no escaping the storms. So Lord, let the proof of our hands be revealed that we might have eternal life with you. Let us be radical Christians. Lord, let us dine at your table. In Jesus' name, amen.